0: To Wrestling at Random, I'm Jeremy Deemer, And I am Adam Summers. And this is the podcast where every week we drop in, we randomly select a weekly television show from a classic period, uh, sometime pre-2010. And it could be from any territory, any company.
1: Yes, and when you say we randomly select you're giving us too much credit for the control of this selection. It is randomly selected for us by the randomizer. Thousands upon thousands of hours of pro wrestling television could be from Japan could be from obviously many different territories and promotions in the United States elsewhere as well. We run the randomizer. It picks a show. We watch it sometimes uh, as in some recent episodes, there are very off the beaten path territories Sometimes it slides right in a bit more to the mainstream. And that's what we have here this week, as it is an episode of WWF Wrestling
0: Challenge from 1986. That's right. The Randomizer likes to choose episodes from the dying days of promotions here in season two. It sure seems to
1: be the case.
0: (laughs) Uh, Finally, the Randomizer gives us a break and gives us one of the early days of a television show WWF Wrestling Challenge, this was a weekly syndicated TV show. This would be the B-show to the WWF's Superstars program. So the Saturday to the Sunday show, if you will.
1: Yeah, and I think here in Chicago, I don't think Wrestling Challenge was on as consistently as Superstars. That's at least my recollection. Like Growing up, I watched Superstars every week. That was our uh, Saturday
0: morning program.
1: Yeah, I was aware of Challenge, but I feel like I did not watch Challenge anywhere near as much. I'm guessing maybe the other explanation is that Challenge was on in Chicago at the same time as an NWA slash WCW show was. And you know maybe that's why I didn't watch it. But like I said, I was familiar with it, but Superstars was my, my weekly WWF program.
0: As it should be, because Superstars had most of the major angles. It had the title changes when they, they happened on television. And, uh, yeah, Wrestling Challenge was uh, a lot of squashes, a lot of recaps, a lot of uh, moving the story forward, uh, but definitely lacked in title changes, um, definitely lacked in big main events, and the show aired from 1986 to 1995, and... This show that we're going to review today goes to September 20th of that first year of the show in 1986. We are welcomed by the show on our commentary team. It's Gorilla Monsoon, and get this, here are bookends of commentary talent, if I've (laughs) ever seen it before. Bookends of talent
1: in general, bookends, uh, you could not get further on opposite ends of the spectrum as far as favorites and least favorites for you and I on this podcast as we have reviewed shows. We have to the positive,
0: I'll try to be positive first, we have Big Cat Ernie Lad. You can get no more positive than the love we have on this show for the Big Cat Ernie Lad.
1: Absolutely. Whether it be him on commentary, whether it be him just being a great heel in a territory, him selling so much better than a big man whose body was already ravaged by the rigors of professional football. Uh, he's just so
0: good. We got to we got to hear Ernie Ladd on commentary for the first time during the Jake the Snake Roberts Coliseum video, yes. which we reviewed on our Patreon feed. You can go there right now if, you're, if you subscribe to the Patreon feed. We got hours of additional content that you don't hear in this free feed. One of those hours is us reviewing Jake the Snake Roberts Coliseum video from 1986 and Bighead Ernie Lad. A lot of good commentary on there.
1: Yes. Also on that same tape, however, from 1986, Jake the Snake Roberts, there's a man in the studio. And on commentary for a few of those matches, it is Luscious Johnny V. And if you are a subscriber, you already know. If you're a subscriber to our Patreon feed, if you're a supporter over there, you already know how we feel about Luscious Johnny V. If you are not, you will learn very quickly throughout the course of this podcast just how uh, irredeemably terrible he is at commentary and how much... Uh, we don't really see him a ton on screen here. We do a little bit. How much he is like the uh the bargain basement uh caricature of a 1980s pro wrestling character.
0: It is the other end of the spectrum. Yes to Big Cat Ernie Ladd. This man, luscious Johnny V, is the dirt worst. And on that same Jake tape, like you mentioned, oh, just horrendous. And yeah, he's, he's, I, I don't get luscious Johnny V. I, I don't understand it. I still don't understand it. He's like, it's like the grand wizard. We just don't get it. I, I never got the grand wizard. Uh, I, boy, that's a, that's a real, uh, toss up there on who's worse. Oh, uh, Johnny V for sure. Like
1: when I see the grand wizard, I just think like, oh, this guy's just, it's not a whole lot there. When I see and hear Johnny V,
0: there's a whole lot there. It's just all bad. Oh, it is all bad for sure. Now, uh I forgot to mention that we did get the the opening WWF logo in space yes. and a voiceover. I love that. Yeah, the voiceover saying the recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. And I thought that that was pretty funny because that's right. It was not wrestling, but sports entertainment back in 1986.
1: So. Yeah, I it was, I had the same reaction when I saw and heard that. I had forgotten that they were using that phrase that far back, all the way again, like you said, back in 1986. They do say professional wrestling on this show as well, so it wasn't the exclusive wasn't word to yeah, describe exactly. what was happening. But still, yeah, it was sports entertainment. And when they run down, uh, who are, who's going to be on this card? The men that will be in action or will appear on this show because that's what happens we have the video intro we see the uh the open which there's really not a whole lot to say about that and then they run down the card such as it is and this is what is in store the killer bees sika the dream team of brutus beefcake and greg the hammer valentine
0: randomizer you do it to me again (laughs)
1: There's one man, we'll find out later on this podcast, who we're talking about. There's one man who actually, I think now with his uh, his appearances in season two, has actually appeared more times than Greg the Hammer Valentine, finally. Uh, but yes, the Hammer is on this show. The Rebel Dick Slater, which <laughs> a- again, if you watch that Jake tape, you uh, or if you listen to that podcast for the Jake tape that we watched, uh, you will hear in real time us discovering that, yes, Dick Slater was a Confederate flag-carrying babyface in 1986 WWF. I uh, I pride myself on, on having a pretty deep knowledge of pro wrestling and particularly remembering these things from my childhood, and it's still here the second time around, seeing Dick Slater as a babyface in the
0: WWF. That was weird. So miscast. So oh. weird to see that. If you want to know... Uh, about Dick Slater, listen to our Mid South here on the yes. free feed. If the you heard unpredictable us,
1: predictable Dick Slater, he was yes. not a rebel, he was unpredictable and he was awesome.
0: Yes, and that was less than a year before this as so a so weird, weird uh, southern baby face. Uh, <laughs> yes, okay, very strange. Uh, we also apparently
1: will see the machines. Uh, Guerrilla Monsoon tells us that we will see the not so macho man, so he's not a fan of Randy Savage. Roddy Piper will appear and then the Islanders will also uh, will also appear. So that's that's what we have in front of us. Did Roddy Piper appear? Very briefly, there was a segment. (laughs) Remember the segment from another show? With him and Adrian
0: Adonis, oh, that's we'll right. Get, okay, we'll, all right, we'll get there. Yeah, because we'll I was, get just, to that later. I was that's just remembering, I'm like, I, I'm like, yeah, I remember all those guys on this show, and then I didn't remember <laughs> Piper. Now I remember why I didn't remember Piper. I guess. Yeah. okay, <laughs> so the in ring action on the show starts
1: with the Islanders Hako. Now, wait,
0: wait, wait. First, before the in ring action, we are alerted that our ring announcer. Oh, yes. Lord Alfred Hayes. He's the. (laughs) Oh, my God. He's the ring announcer. Yeah. Buckle up. I was not
1: emotionally or mentally or even physically prepared (laughs) for Lord Alfred Hayes doing the ring announcing on this show. He's been a bit of a jack of all trades uh, on some of the things we've watched on this podcast, whether it be master of none. (laughs) That is that is accurate, although we did uh, we did talk about probably his greatest moment as a broadcaster, him calling. Uh, the return to the UK of British Bulldog, Davy boy Smith triumphantly in that battle Royal. But absolutely other than that, it has not been a, a stellar <laughs> run here for the, for his Lordship. He is ring announcing. And as I was beginning to say, the first team that he welcomes us to seeing in the ring, it is the Islanders Hako and Toma. And yes, Hako is Haku and it is so weird to see him wearing, like, brightly colored short tights, dancing, and just, like, being a happy baby face.
0: Yeah, now, the graphic and Monsoon called him Hako, so that that confirmed it. I thought this was just Lord Al Hayes yes. messing up name number one of the day. <laughs> but very no, possible. No, it was actually H-A-K-O, and I had no idea he was never not named Haku.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. I'll than, I'll like, be calling him and stuff like that, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll be calling him Haku for the rest of this review. Yeah, uh, same here. Yeah, he he did a little dance, which I, I found was hilarious, and <laughs> and I was very pleased with, with this uh, babyface Fun Islander team. The now the Hart Foundation, they're with Jimmy Hart, who appears to be ready to wrestle for some reason. Why is he wearing long tights? He is wearing well he's not just wearing long tights he's
1: wearing like a pink pinkish purplish full bodysuit, like leotard style uh gear with his his uh, long tail suit jacket over it. He looked more ready for glow in 1986 <laughs> he did. than he did here for a wrestling challenge. The other note where they think from a production standpoint is that when they're introduced when the heart foundation is introduced uh, they don't you know they don't get an entrance they're in the ring. And the cameraman is in the ring with them.
0: The Hart Foundation jump them at the bell. Double elbow on Tama. Nightheart just biting Tama, and the Hearts double team him in the corner. We get a Jimmy Hart inset promo. During the Hart Foundation match.
1: Yes. Yeah, he's out there yelling on the microphone, <laughs> but he's also cutting a promo. It's not quite Gorilla Monsoon doing commentary over Gorilla Monsoon doing commentary like that most unusual match state. but it's still, it's a little bit of Jimmy Hart inception more than I needed. Uh, just preceding this, Ernie Ladd gave great advice. He, uh, he told all young wrestlers to never get trapped in the opponent's corner. This was as... Uh, as I believe it was Toma, yep. was being beaten down in the corner by the anvil and the hitman. So yes, Ernie Ladd bringing the knowledge already. Uh, it's just awesome to see 1986 Bret Hart here. I was so excited just for that. You know, I didn't know how much we would or wouldn't get of him, but was excited for it nonetheless.
0: When Haku comes in, he starts laying a beating on the anvil. They brawl to the floor, and on the outside, in the ring tama charges brett in the corner but he gets the boot up to the face of tama anvil and haku knock the barricade over on the outside like this was wild yeah they're brawling on the floor
1: uh they go crashing into the barricade and it gets knocked completely over thankfully the crowd is set really far back from the barricade which is a weird look but they're very lucky because this uh and I don't know if it was just you know the barricades weren't weighted at the bottom, but these barricades were flying all over the place.
0: Yeah, they were completely flat on the ground, knocked over, hit man. Then on the outside, he gets thrown into the other side of the barricades, and then the bell just rings. Yes, the bell rings. Uh, we don't really get.
1: I think they called it a no contest well, instead of a disqualification. I no, don't know. No.
0: So the, so the Islanders continue the fight inside the ring. The Hart Foundation bail, and Lord Al Hayes says both teams were disqualified. Uh, Ah, okay. What? Yeah. uh, Yeah. For for what? I I don't know, but on the replay, we see Tama do a dive from the ring, clearing the top rope all the way to the floor, wiping out the anvil. The camera totally missed that on first viewing.
1: Yeah, this was wild, and I I actually had to rewind and watch it because I was – I was concerned that I missed this. I didn't understand how I Me missed too. this. Yeah. But then it just it was because they missed it on the production, on the broadcast. But yes, this was a running no hands tope oh, you know, over the top rope. Think I guess the best way you could describe it is think the Undertaker WrestleMania dive. <laughs> right. That's what this was here in 1986. And just imagine doing this move in 1986 in a match that only went like two minutes yeah. and got thrown out for guys hitting the barricade. And you do this and they don't even get it on the, you know, on the first time around that you don't get it till replay. I would be very upset if I was Toma, as they call them.
0: We see the WWF magazine and the words wrestlers rebuttal <laughs> yes, from the pages of the
1: WWF magazine. It's wrestlers rebuttal. Uh, the most noteworthy thing about this magazine is they were subtly trying to make people think that it was going to have naked pictures of, of Elizabeth. If you look at this cover, it, she's <laughs> obviously in a dress, but if you look at this cover, you don't see that. You just see her face, you see her shoulders, and I know exactly what Vince McMahon was trying to do here.
0: I don't know what Vince McMahon was trying to do with this segment. Um, it's This was it's, weird. It's Adrian Adonis. The Cowboy Bob Orton and Jimmy Hart on the Piper's Pit interview segment. Now, to be clear, this is not the Adrian Adonis that we were demanding to see more of in 1984. This is... 1982. 19... In 1982. This is 1986. Adrian Adonis. The A version. Lot. <laughs> A of... lot has changed in four years. Oh, the version of this character... Has him wearing a dress. He hosts an interview segment called the Flower Shop. Um, Bleach blonde hair. He's there are approximately two Adrian Adonis's
1: compared to what he looked like in 1982. He's, yeah,
0: he's twice the size and not muscle. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's it's not great here. Orton has a pink cowboy hat on. Yeah, this is a look of these two men standing next <laughs> to each other, and then Jimmy Hart in the background. It's it's a crew. So Adonis challenges Roddy to a debate. Yeah, the debate is, what's better, the flower shop or Piper's pit? Yeah, Piper says, let's not wait for the debate. Let's do it now. Piper sits in a chair, tells Adonis to sit down, and let's debate now. As Adonis goes to sit down, Piper slides the chair out from underneath him. Adonis falls to the ground and Piper just casually strolls off the set, which was one of the highlights for me. was just Piper's (laughs) look on his face as he just strolls off the set. And that's the end of Wrestler's Rebuttal. It was
1: very weird. There was not much rebuttal. Uh, The Wrestler's (laughs) only appeared very briefly this was not quite as strange as that Andre the giant uh, sensational Sherry segment, but it wasn't, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it wasn't that far off that just, as far as just this weird tacked on thing that took like 90 seconds and really didn't, it just didn't seem to fit, but (laughs) it happened. We go to commercial. We come back and it is Tony Gurria, He not only does not have Rick Martell there, he also does not have knee pads. And he looks so much more here in 1986, like WWF official breaking up a fight, Tony Gurria, than he does multiple tag team champion, Tony Gurria from 1982. His opponent,
0: the intercontinental champion, macho man, Randy Savage with the Miss Elizabeth. Macho, he comes out, decked in his sequins, blue robe. Miss yeah, blue Elizabeth. with
1: white stars. Elizabeth is wearing a dress that has the Matching exact dress. same design. This is uh, this is great. Uh, they're just obviously a great act in every conceivable way at this point, and they are coordinated.
0: And he's got the intercontinental title, which I find to be one of the best versions of the intercontinental title.
1: Oh, it's absolutely. It's the best version of the intercontinental title. I, we've talked about it before. It would be to me, it's the second best looking secondary title in the history of at least modern pro wrestling, only behind the NWA world television title.
0: We are in complete agreement there. Macho man shoves Gurria before he takes his robe off. And Gurria tries to attack Savage, but referee Danny Davis, infamous referee Danny Davis, gets in between them, and this allows Savage to elbow Gurria. Well, it, able- starts,
1: it starts with Savage. He puts Elizabeth in front of him immediately when Gurria starts to go after him. So that kind of plants the seeds of where we're at here uh, in the Savage-Elizabeth relationship as well. We also learn from, from the commentary from Gorilla Monsoon that not only is Macho Man the Intercontinental Champion, he apparently, in a miscarriage of justice, stole the championship. Uh, He won it in dubious fashion over Tito Santana in November in the Boston Garden. That's right, with this
0: very same Danny Davis as referee. And so Gurria is able to hit a high cross, get a two count, and Savage right back up, he still has his headband and sunglasses on <laughs> as he's yes. wrestling this match.
1: Yes, he's wearing green tights. that say macho man on the back, yellow boots, a sequined blue bandana that matches uh, both his entrance robe and the dress of Miss Elizabeth, and he is wrestling in those patented Randy Savage sunglasses. He is like an action figure come to life.
0: Gorilla tries a sunset flip, but Savage punches his way free. Savage, with a knee to the back, knocks Gurria out to the floor. Yeah, that running
1: knee that he would do a lot of times. Usually, he would do that to set up what he's about to do here.
0: Which is going off the top rope with a double X handle to the floor. At this point, we get an inset promo from superstar Billy Graham.
1: He is in the desert, and the only note I have on this promo is that he, in the desert, talking... Sounds like the lamest Dusty Rhodes ripoff uh, as he says that he's coming back. And I know there's much more to Superstar Billy Graham than that, but he uh he just sounds like a dime star Dusty Rhodes here.
0: This is uh yeah, he's talking about trying to make a comeback, uh, and he's gonna go after Savage in the Intercontinental title when he does. Savage back in the ring with a slam, goes up top, flying elbow. And Ernie Ladd announces the case is closed <laughs> yes. as Savage gets the pin. Get to a top turnbuckle. Say perhaps we'll see that patented flying elbow, and he's the master of it. There it is. Oh. Good night. Lights out. Guaranteed. One, Wrap two, three, count. This case is closed. Wow. Unbelievable. Once Randy Savage goes up there and plants... That flying elbow, some 15 feet down. I don't care who the individual is. He's not going to get up from it. Your winner, Mortal Man, Randy Savage.
1: Yes, that became, uh, I don't know if it was just for this week on this episode of Wrestling Challenge, but that was a catchphrase of sorts, apparently, for Ernie Ladd here. That is the way he described the end of almost every match on this wrestling program. Randy Savage, this was way too short for uh, how little we've seen of Randy Savage on this podcast. Uh, But you and I are both in agreement. He's just incredible. And here, just even this brief window into what he is just so awesome, just completely different level of intensity, just the way he moves the way just everything. He's one of those guys we've talked about before that the second he comes through the curtain, you understand everything about who he is, why he's doing it. Uh, what makes him so detestable, but also such a great wrestler at the same time, just a perfect pro wrestling package in every conceivable way. And just topped off by that top rope elbow drop, which, you know, still looking back at it now and through modern eyes is still the best top rope elbow drop. Anyone's ever done. The, uh, the uh, Randy Savage elbow that he would do almost every match.
0: Now just, yeah, too brief of a performance here, but, you saw all the, all the things that you want to see from a Randy Savage. Uh, He, including his, uh, his paranoia and his treatment of Elizabeth, (laughs)
1: which is obviously in real life would be deplorable, but just as a wrestling character watching on the screen, like I said, you, you understand everything good and bad about the macho man, Randy Savage here in about two minutes.
0: Oh, and he's just so good, especially with some of the terrible wrestling we see on this show. Yes. The the glimpse we get of, of Randy Savage, you've just got to want more. And when I say everything good and
1: bad, I mean, as far as whether he's a good guy or a bad guy sure. in wrestling parlance, I, there is literally not a single bad thing he does <laughs> as a professional wrestler here. He is a god among men in this very short segment.
0: Jake the Snake Roberts cuts a promo. And... Yeah, it's great. Every every time Jake the Snake does a promo, it's great. Uh, Who is
1: this guy interviewing him?
0: So... This guy looks like uh, a if a Ken doll got his wish to come to life. Uh, with it looks like it, it looks like he could take his hair off and put it on the nightstand when he goes to bed. Like, he looks it, like if a Ken doll got his wish and came to life, but then Barbie divorced him. It's yeah, I don't know who this guy is, but uh, yeah, he not not great. Um, no, and his
1: moment to shine will come. It'll come like, later, later. Uh,
0: but here. Yes, yeah, so this Jake
1: the Snake promo is fantastic, as pretty much all Jake promos are from this time period. Uh, it is interesting to me in that he has more of a Southern accent here than I remembered. He's still kind of fresh off of you know, wrestling in Georgia, wrestling in Mid-South, you know all throughout the South. But it just struck me as odd because we had just watched and reviewed that Jake the Snake Roberts Coliseum home video. And here in this promo, it felt... Like that Southern accent was slipping through more than it did there, even though it's all from the same time frame.
0: I am at the top and I have done it in a shorter time than anybody else. Even Hulk Hogan. I've risen to the top and why? Because I've got something else to offer that nobody's ever seen before. Something that amazes people. It's a mystery to you. As far as Ricky Steamboat goes, he's a very foolish man. Because even the most ignorant man that sticks his hand into the fire and gets burned, pulls it back. He knows not to go again. But Ricky Steamboat, I'll wind up treating you just like I would a woman. The first time, if you're fine, okay. The second time, if you're special, maybe. But the third time, you're a piece of flesh because I'm through with you. Back to the ring. Al Navarro, Tiger Chung Lee, and J.J. Jackson. Well, you're doing well because you knew the name of J.J. Jackson.
1: Uh, you, uh, You have one up on the professional ring announcer here on this wrestling
0: program. Yes. Lord L Hayes has to stop the introductions to ask this man, his name. (laughs) I have never seen that on a show that is edited for television before. I've
1: never seen that on a live show. I've never seen that on pro wrestling or boxing or MMA, all the wrestling I've watched throughout my entire life. He actually, we don't see it. They at least don't have it on camera. But he he introduces the first two men and then he begins to go and you can hear him stop. He walks up to the man. He asks the wrestler what his name is. And then he says, J.J. Jackson. And boy, when we get a a shot of J.J. Jackson, (laughs) he is he's not small. And I don't mean that as far as in shape. He is a, a large, rather soft, rotund looking man. He's wearing all blue. And the way I described him is that in 1986, I feel like I'd be more likely to encounter him under the L a few blocks from Wrigley while trying to buy scalped Cubs tickets than I would in a professional wrestling ring.
0: In the ring to my left, from Boston, Massachusetts, at 280 pounds, Al Navarro. His partner from Korea at 271 pounds, Tiger Chong Lee. And his third partner from Dorchester, Massachusetts, and I'm afraid it's not quite that. What is your name? J. J. Jackson. Yeah, he sh- he should not have been there. Uh, <laughs> and-, and so, uh, their opponents are the Machines with their manager, Captain Lou Albano. Oh, Captain Lou Albano, not one of my favorites. We hate uh, Captain Lou Albano here on this show. Uh, no, no, I,
1: I, I like him more than Sir Oliver Humperdink, but that is the
0: lowest of bars to clear. <laughs> See, and I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'll take some hump over uh, Captain Lou any day. I've told
1: you before, it's the, uh, it's the Big Daddy Dink era of Sir Oliver Humperdink <laughs> managing the Freebirds that just, just torpedoed any chances for him with me.
0: Uh, so, a little bit about the machines. Now, these are three guys wearing long black trunks with uh, uh, straps uh, for their tops. Yeah, single strap tops like, uh, say, Jerry Lawler. Correct. Or Andre the Giant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Interesting that you
0: mentioned <laughs> Andre the Giant. Now about these men from Japan? That's right. They are from Japan. Now, they, so they, they all have black masks on with some gold. Uh, outlines here the the gimmick for the machines is modeled after super strong machine in new japan
1: yes who we actually have talked about on this podcast before i believe not wrestling under his mask but wrestling under his real name of junji harada and we talked about him being super strong machine uh yes that is uh what the takeoff is here that's the look uh but that is not the man
0: no so at the time andre the giant was suspended in storyline while feuding with the Heenan family so that Andre could go off and film the Princess Bride in real life and he had a tour of Japan that he had to do as well. So Giant Machine is Andre the Giant under the mask. Just just step
1: back and imagine that I understand all the reasons that you said that those are that's why they did this. But imagine booking on your pro wrestling show one of the, uh, the biggest special attractions in the history of pro wrestling, and particularly still here in the mid-80s. like It was still a big deal to have Andre the Giant eye on your show. And instead, you put him under a mask. I just, uh, this did not work.
0: So you have Giant Machine as Andre the Giant under the mask. You have Super Machine, who's Bill Eadie, the former mask superstar, the future, Demolition Axe. Oh, wow as uh one of the hooded men the other was the big machine who was blackjack mulligan under a mat. wow so this three-man team are you sure it wasn't blackjack
1: Lozanza? <laughs> correct it yeah. was actually blackjack lanza um you'll if you've listened to uh, a previous podcast you'll understand
0: Oh, that's that's uh, in the MSG review in the old school (laughs) section of our Patreon as well. So, yes, Uh,
1: uh, which that somehow Blackjack Lozanza isn't what broke (laughs) me on that show. It it started things down the right down the line, but that was not what did it.
0: So, yeah, the, the big machine here is Blackjack Mulligan. So this three man team was put together to help Andre wrestle less because he had a bad back. Well, it accomplished that goal here in this match. (laughs) Yes. So the comedy for the machines is that everyone knows who it is. Everyone knows that this is Andre the Giant, including the heels, but they can never prove it. Midnight Rider, Dusty Rhodes style, right? So it's the same thing here where all the babyfaces pretend like they don't know it's Andre the Giant. All the heels are trying to out him as Andre the Giant. And Heenan is trying to out him as Andre the Giant to violate his suspension to get him suspended permanently. Uh, that was the, the uh, wrestling story behind the machines. And that's why we get a Bobby Heenan inset promo here at the beginning of the match. And my favorite part of this inset promo is Heenan calling Albano a zero, which that's what I call Albano. Like Me and Bobby Heenan, great minds thinking alike.
1: I wrote that as well, all caps, and I said, I guess I know where Jeremy got it from now. (laughs) Uh, Bobby was great here in this inset promo. He he rattled off, as he said, the names of the machines, Giant Machine, Big Machine, Strong Machine, and then he called Lou Albano Slob Machine, which (laughs) just absolutely warmed my heart uh he said something like when when i go to bed or when you go to bed i'm still up when you wake up i'm still up uh and like you said he called him a zero yeah that's- he could have been this de- he could have been describing this match and this act you you described all these like things that were supposed to make sense or make this entertaining with the machines and in practice it was far less entertaining of an act in a story than uh, than it
0: sounds Hundred percent, yeah, and uh, yeah, but that that line about the zero got a huge pop from me. Obviously, being one of my favorite lines, uh, I had no idea that I was about to hear it from Bobby Heenan. That was awesome. But in the ring, yeah, nothing much was happening. It was just uh, Mulligan and Edie working over the entire match. Uh, so Andre on the on the apron the entire time. Uh, Super Machine throws JJ Jackson toward the corner. Andre with a punch from the apron. <laughs> And Super Machine pins him for for the win. Yeah, so
1: Andre never never actually gets in the ring. This punch was really more of an an overhand chop that was about as forceful as Giant Baba in the 90s, which again, Giant Baba, obviously all the respect in the world, but as a wrestler uh, in his latter stages, not particularly impactful. So they
0: actually, uh, when reading about the machines, they would actually, whenever people would bring up that this is obviously Andre the Giant, who else is this big? Babyfaces would say, could be Giant Baba. And they've That's actually cool. referenced him under under the mask. So That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> so we get a, a promo from Coco Beware. He's, oh my. He's got Do a boombox. We... we hear some Hi- terrible overdub music, so I don't know what he's rocking out to. But uh, he shows us the bird dance. I'm wondering if it's the do the bird song
1: because he's they're talking about him doing the bird. He's playing the boom box. We've noted before that we haven't heard that song on shows when we've seen Coco be aware. So maybe they uh, they took that out. But yes, he says he has a new dance called the bird. So this isn't quite uh, the reveal of the name of the Frankensteiner. <laughs> on that Clash of the Champions show that we reviewed on the Patreon feed, but it is slightly historical in that, or historic, I should say, in that we uh, we learned that the dance is called the bird. They start doing the bird. And when I say they start doing the bird, Coco is doing the dance. Meanwhile, this uh, post-divorce Kendal uh, interviewer is just slightly, lightly bouncing up and down. This is a sight to behold. Uh, it, it gets better, though.
0: So yeah, he he's doing the dance. Uh, it, he keeps getting into it, and uh, it, it's i I don't know what else happened because I'm just watching this guy dance. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's hypnotizing in a strange and slightly disturbing way. Uh, Coco Beware says he's going to fly like a bird and sing like a bee, and they'll go out to the one, two, three. Uh, and then as this promo ends, he just screams, "Be there!" And then pretty much the whole promo is him talking about the WWF being awesome. It, it, this, this is one of those eighties wrestling WWF things that you kind of have to see to
0: believe. Um, it, it was, it was something. Highlight of the show for me. We get a commercial for the WWF magazine. Yes. Wow. Which the, uh, the selling point of the magazine is full cover, Photographs, full color
1: photographs. Excuse me, that that apparently was noteworthy here in 1986 that you had full color
0: photographs. Yeah, it's a dig on uh, uh, on, on the, PWI and such. on the after mags. Yeah, yes. that, the, that had uh, a couple of color photos, but most were black and white. That's a
1: very good point.
0: Now we get the commercial for the L J N big rubber wrestling <laughs> figures from the 80s. This. The, these were my passion as a child.
1: It <laughs> said to bring back some memories for you. Collect them all. It and says, "I'm assuming you did."
0: I did my best to collect them all. They would come with a little poster, like <laughs> in. So you'd open it up. You get the you get the big rubber wrestler guy, and then you've got a poster which is a cartoon version of the the wrestler. And so my wall of my bedroom was lined with those because I I would. Just be constantly, you know, every time I go to Toys R Us, pick I'd, I'd pick one up. That's where all of my money, uh, birthday, Christmas, where, wherever I got money from people, uh, it went. It was invested into LJN figures, <laughs> and uh, people would come over and want to play with the wrestling figures, and they would just, like, ram them together. And I was appalled. I immediately put them away and I said, you, you, you don't know how to play with them. They have their own moves, their own <laughs> styles. How dare you just bash them together like they're big rubber figures. Incorrect usage of the guys. <laughs> this and- <laughs> reminds me of my childhood just sort of reverse in that
1: I had the WCW figures that were sure. very similar uh, a few years later. But late 80s, early 90s, I remember I had Sting, Flair, the Steiners. I had the ring, but it was the same thing. Like, I uh, I would play with them, but I was also very careful with them. It was, you know, the, Rick Steiner's going to do a Steiner line. I'm going to yes. find some way to somehow manipulate uh, the Sting figure to put a Scorpion Deathlock, which really looked more like a half crab, given of the posing, onto Ric Flair. You don't just smash them together. That's not okay, especially with those WCW figures. The paint uh, <laughs> rubbed off very very easily so yeah people didn't they didn't get it they didn't love they didn't treasure uh, these figures Uh, I, i did have i think one or two however of the figures uh that are the the things that are featured in the next commercial which is the thumb
0: wrestlers also from ljn little rubber thumb wrestlers where your thumb goes in the butt of the wrestling <laughs> which guy <laughs>
1: i fully believe was like vince mcmahon just this is early this is early uh, example of vince mcmahon humor
0: and um, i i had a few of those as well so yeah i, I for sure had the thumb wrestlers how about well. this
1: commercial by the way as there are kids playing with the thumb wrestlers like on the steps of the school like to the entrance of this elementary school like a
0: young jeremy deemer would yeah <laughs>
1: yes and then out of nowhere the iron sheik comes from inside the school, out the doors. So there's a lot of questions to be asked there already. But the Iron Cheek emerges from the school. He is on the steps. He is in full wrestling gear, which includes no shirt. And he simply says, okay, kids, back to class. This was supposed to sell these figures.
0: This is the highlight of the show for me was these commercials. Yes. Loved these commercials. And did and, not
1: expect to see them here on this official streaming service version of this show. We usually don't end up with the commercials being left in.
0: So I go from the highest of highs. <laughs> I know where you're going. To the lowest of lows as uh, the dream team. of The
1: nightmare duo for Jeremy uh, Deemer,
0: Brutus Beefcake and Greg... The human intermission, the hammer valentine. Uh, but just as I start to get low, their opponents are introduced. It's Lanny Poffo. We love Lanny Poffo here. Do we? <laughs> The poet is there, other, is the... there
1: another co-host of this <laughs> podcast that I'm not aware of? Is there a shadow version we... of Wrestling
0: at Random that's been taking place? <laughs> we've 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 discussed Lanny Poffo in previous episodes, um, and, and his run is all the way through being a New Japan color commentator. Uh, <laughs> and his Puffo. run
1: in WCW where he was employed <laughs> and paid hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of several years and never appeared on TV.
0: He's... When you see him, you're just like, how is this man the brother of the Macho Man Randy Savage? After all of the things we talked about, the, the greatness of Macho Man Randy Savage, Lanny Papo is the antithesis of all of those things. Yes.
1: I mean, he's, we've talked about, he's the Keith Gretzky to Wayne Gretzky.
0: <laughs> you know, take whatever yes. brother
1: combination in sports. <laughs> where there's a star and there's another guy who's probably not even a border borderline major leaguer, but he gets some chances because of his last name. That is Lanny Papo here. He is not leaping. He's not the genius, but he might as well be. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment, but this natural duo, this tag team here in <laughs> 1986
0: face fire here with Lanny
1: Poffo. is Lanny Papo He emerges from the, uh, from the entranceway wearing no knee pads and having all the fire in the world. And behind him is, the rebel Dick Slater, as you said, with baby face fire and a Confederate flag draped over his shoulders. Uh, they make their way to the ring. And there's a few things I note first as they get in. Before the match starts, I just marvel at the fact that here, two years after NWA Boogie Jam, which we reviewed early on in season one of this podcast, where there's a cage match between Greg the Hammer Valentine as a babyface and dick slater as a heel over the united states championship here 2 years later they're wrestling in the wwf on opposite sides of a tag team match where the roles are reversed <laughs> and we get a poem of sorts from lanny pafo and i'm going to read this word for word
0: good cuz i did not capture the audio for this so yes
1: <laughs> <laughs> i am always i always uh very much on it when it comes to transcribing Lanny Poffo poems.
0: This poem, he, the, the the end of this poem, I want to hear if I heard it right. So I'm looking for it because it sounded to me like it did not rhyme and there was a mis-rhyming opportunity. But go ahead. Yeah, it, go ahead. It,
1: it, uh, it, it kind of tailed off towards the end. So here it is. The rebel, Dickie Slater, brings all of his tradition to the ring. The stars and bars are flying high and he ain't whistling Dixie, just ring that bell, and watch him do his
0: thing. And watch him do his thing. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to end this
1: poem! Uh, and apparently, his thing was throwing frisbees to the crowd, or as uh, as Johnny V called them, flying saucers.
0: Yeah, I, so. If he's gonna, if he tr- if he couldn't figure out a rhyme for Dixie, he should have just said Frisbee because it's close enough, and threw a Frisbee, <laughs> yes. and everyone would have been like, "Yeah, hey, you're right." <laughs> yeah, we're, we're and now I throw my Frisbee, and then he throws I it, guess, and everyone cheers. That that's well, I guess it. it's, it's ring
1: ring is supposed to rhyme with thing, but there are a lot of words like double digit words between <laughs> ring and thing. I feel like <sighs> I feel like there, there's some sort of rule of rhyming that at some point. Like, you cannot go back three paragraphs prior and say, well, this word rhymes with that word on the previous page. It doesn't work like that.
0: Valentine starts out with Poffo and he That's gets- a
1: terrifying sentence, by the way, if you want to stay awake.
0: <sighs> yes. Valentine lays in some shots. He ends up missing an elbow drop. And Poffo does a kip-up and then <laughs> dives to the corner to make the tag. Like, he's making the hot tag... Like, he's been in there for 45 minutes. but he 20, was in the-
1: 20 seconds into this match, he has not taken any punishment. And yes, he, uh, after the hammer, misses this elbow drop, he does. You're very generous and kind calling this a kip-up. He attempts something in the ballpark of a kip-up, lands it a little bit, and then... Ricky Morton style dives to the corner.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, we're literally 20 seconds into this match and he dives <laughs> like he's making the hottest of hot tags. I uh, also enjoyed the fact that we had a,
1: a no knee pads battle here between Lanny Poffo and Greg, the hammer Valentine at the start of this
0: match. So Slater's in with Valentine. Like you mentioned a rematch of the cage match from, uh, that we saw uh, a few, uh if you go back in, in our archives there, and they were going hard. This was like, I actually really enjoyed
1: this. They're locking up, they're trading hard chops. And this is where I note that Dick Slater looks so good here in this match. And I don't know that I've ever seen a wrestler look more out of place in a promotion than Dick Slater here looking all rugged and throwing hard chops and forearms in this gigantic 18,000 18, seat, brightly lit sports arena uh, being a fiery babyface. It is We've talked about it before guys looking out of place in roles including Greg Valentine as a babyface but oh. this is just this is next level for me.
0: It was so weird cuz Slater was so good here and you'd like to see him just be a crazy unpredictable heel type. Yes. Uh, but no, he the things he were doing he, he was doing was great and he was like he was like, "Hey, I'm not going to be a jobber in this jobber yes, taxi match." Yes, He's like He was
1: <laughs> he was very motivated to uh, to have the Dick Slaterness of him cut through uh, the spot that he was put in here, and actually, even though he wasn't doing any real traditional baby babyface stuff, he had so much fire that it it worked. But it was still just very, very strange. And Dick Slater, to me, he in some ways is he's like the heel version of Ricky Steamboat in that there is no compelling argument for him to ever be anything other than a heel Correct. just like Ricky Steamboat as a face and if you try to go the other way you are uh you're revealing yourself and your shortcomings uh, as a booker and your lack of understanding of professional wrestling.
0: Luscious Johnny V leaves the commentary position to manage his team the dream team there. <laughs> yeah
1: we which we didn't realize at first but yes what a what a trio here. Luscious Chani V is the
0: manager of Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake. Yikes. Slater hits a swinging neckbreaker on Beefcake. Lanny's in. He dropkicks Valentine on the apron. Huge pop from me. Sunset flip <laughs> on Beefcake, but Valentine in to break it up.
1: Again, being way too
0: generous <laughs> and kind to Lanny Pavo. This was...
1: Everything Pavo
0: does feels like it's in slow motion. It feels
1: like it's in slow motion. And it also feels like it's not going to actually happen. Like it's not going to be completed. This was such an awkward, like it was a backdrop attempt into a sunset flip, but it just, it it did not look good at all. And it's weird because Lanny Poffo, like as the nickname dictates, he can leap. He has great leaping ability, which makes you think he, he is an athlete. But nothing he does looks athletic at all.
0: Now, all four men are in the ring. We get an unathletic monkey flip by Poffo on Brutus Beefcake. (laughs)
1: This monkey flip made the sunset flip look tremendous. This was horrendous. And then he goes for it again, uh, gets hot-shotted by a hammer from the apron, And then that's it. That's the
0: finish. Yeah, Beefcake just like kind of pulls him away from the ropes and covers him, gets the three count. Now, Slater wants to remind us that he is not a geek jobber, even though he's part of this team. And he proceeds to single-handedly beat up the Dream Team after the match to where they get beat up and then they just run away. And yes, made Slater look pretty good here.
1: Yeah, Slater looked great in ring. He came out very well uh you know standing wise at the end and i'm assuming that dick slater's uh his determination here in this match to look good and as you said make sure everyone knew that he was not a jobber i would not be surprised if this is part of why dick slater's run in the wwf was very short
0: very short and very unsuccessful yes this week's Snake Pit segment, Jake's interview segment here, his guest is Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and his manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Orndorff proceeds to talk about Hulk Hogan. He had recently turned on Hulk Hogan and joined the Heenan family. And Bobby Heenan says that Orndorff will be the champion of the world.
1: There's a few things here that, that were notable. And one, just uh, just mark it down for later. Orndorff says he used to take Hogan to the gym. He'd look in his eyes and he could tell that he wanted to be something. He really couldn't be a man. He wanted to be me, Mr. Wonderful. So just, just remember that. The other thing was that we, we got an example of why Bobby Heenan was so great. And it comes in a bit of a flub, but it shows how good he is at thinking on his feet. Uh, he's saying that uh, Paul Orndorff is hungry. He's starving. And he says his quench will only be... And then at this point, you can see him realize, I'm supposed to say his thirst will only be quenched. How can I get out of this? And he says, his quench will only be resolved. And while that sounds a bit clunky hearing me say it, Bobby Heenan pulled this off in such a way that if you were not paying attention, if you're not paying super close attention, you wouldn't even notice that this was sort of a, a line that he missed. So just a little thing that showed how tremendous the brain is.
0: After commercial, we're introduced to the manager, the wizard, and we get a close-up of this man's forehead, and it is disgusting.
1: Yes, it is not the Grand Wizard. It is the wizard, and the literally the first thing I write down, is that King Curtis Iacaya? <laughs> yes. It, I am proven to be correct by the end of this. I mean, with that forehead, it's hard to... Uh, think it's anything else the best way to describe this forehead is you know when you see like videos of or or sort of like graphical representations of what someone's brain looks like and there's all those folds in your brain that is what the outside of uh the wizard king curtis ayakaya's head looks like his skin looks like brain
0: ask your eight-year-old to draw a picture of bacon (laughs) <laughs> and this is what Curtis Iakea's forehead looks like. It, Yeah, it, and it is him. Uh, and uh, you are correct in your analysis. And you would remember the last time Curtis Iakea was on a show that we reviewed. He was forming the Dungeon of Doom in WCW. Yes. As part of that Slamboree 95 pay-per-view we reviewed in season one.
1: His short-lived role, uh, never really that much out in front of the uh, the fans, but you know, in these vignettes of him looking like he was in some sort of cave as the master, uh, with Kevin Sullivan being his ta- his taskmaster. Excuse me. Uh, I-, I would only imagine that uh, Tony Shavani would have gotten a kick out there of there that callback <laughs> to the, to the uh, Dungeon of Doom. If you don't know what we're talking, about, listen to our very recent episode. Uh, reviewing Thunder. one of the yes, reviewing one of the final WCW Thunder shows. Do your Tony Schiavone break completely <laughs> just like I did uh, uh, on the Patreon podcast about that MSG show? But yes, here he is, King Curtis Ikea He is managing Sika. This uh, this match. Before we get to it, the opponent, Rick Hunter. Rick Hunter. This is what I wrote down immediately upon seeing Rick Hunter. Rick Hunter is the opponent, and he looks like the guy that your grandpa told you about, uh, who bowled a three hundred game twenty <laughs> years ago at his work party. Hey.
0: Yeah, I I like that. Uh, I I had Rick Hunter as uh, the default when you start to create a wrestler, and then you need to add on uh, from there. This is this that is would be the I would agree slate. with
1: that if. Wrestling video games existed in 1975. He had to create a wrestler role. He, uh, he also, he kind of looks like, in your mind's eye, if you imagine a wrestler uh, that is shorter than Dick Murdoch, but has the same body with the face of Bobby Heenan.
0: So we've got... Uh, sorry, everyone's turning off the show right now to go <laughs> look up Rick Hunter. We've oversold it. Uh, in, <laughs> match starts with Sika chopping him in the corner, choking him down. We get an inset promo from newcomer, the Honky Tonk Man. Yes, Gorilla Monsoon says, the whole wrestling world is talking about the Honky Tonk Man.
1: We get this promo from the Honky Tonk Man who says that Sika is from Uganda. I I think he got that information from the same source that told the ring announcer on the Continental show that Cactus Jack was from Mexico.
0: Mexico. Yeah. I think honky tonk man was trying to talk about all the newcomers coming to town. I think he was also talking about uh, uh, Kamala coming to town, but never mentioned him by name.
1: Uh... (laughs) How about gorilla after the promo saying, talk about excitement and the honky tonk man arrives and gorilla is wrong. Yeah. And he also, if he said that about this match, he would be wrong. You said this match starts with like kicks and chops and stomps and chokes.
0: That's the whole match. Whole match. Yeah. And the honky tonk promos, it's every honky tonk man promo you've ever heard. Um, Sika ends up no selling some punches by Hunter. He then starts just pulling at Hunter's face. This match. Was straight out of that All Star
1: Wrestling. 1982 oh, it totally show. was. Yeah. This was Killer Khan. Yes, uh, this was all of that. And this show was weird because it's in a big, uh, you know, big building. Tons and tons of people, and there are more stars. Obviously, when you have guys like Randy Savage, but there are still vestiges of the lifeless format and <laughs> performance of that we saw from much of that All Star Show. You can see. You know that this is, you know, this is the
0: show that was birthed out of that. Chopped to the throat. Samoan drop
1: kind of oh. by Sika for the pin. This Samoan drop was executed at approximately the skill level of any move by Lanny Pafo. This was <laughs> not a good Samoan drop. No. Uh got the pin anyway. So <laughs> Well, he got the pin after the Samoan drop, and then maybe my favorite moment of this show. Was Gorilla Monsoon saying, Let's take a look at that Samoan drop again. And then, clearly, <laughs> while he can't hear it, while well, we can't hear it, he's told by the truck that we are not going to show no. that. <laughs> Absolutely he, not. Yeah. He, he kind of ad libs, kills time. And then we uh, instead get a close up shot of the brain face of the wizard. And that's when Gorilla does confirm what we already knew that it is King Curtis Ikea.
0: Yeah, that was so funny when he, yeah, he's. Was... <laughs> He's like, let's see a replay of that devastating Samoan drop and the basically the, the production truck was like hard no gorilla. <laughs> we are not showing that crap again. So what we did get oh boy is this a, a video of the Rougeau brothers out and about. Now well, they are the, on a the, the specific
1: description by Gorilla Monsoon as he throws it to this video is the Rougeau brothers in extracurricular activities on the St. Lawrence Seaway.
0: Yeah, they're it's basically them on a speedboat just being 80s and having a good time. We well, got we got water skiing tricks. We got
1: <laughs> if it's the 80s and they're having a good time, but it's what I took from this is they had very little usable footage from this shoot because at least half of it is just them on a boat. And they're pointing the at pointing. things somewhat quizzically. And then one is talking to the other and it's clear the other can't hear what the what the brother is saying. So they're leaning in to try to hear it. Like there's not a lot of action that's no. happening. Like you compare this to the glorious Scott Hall is coming to the NWA oh, video. It is, It's like the same thing, but also not the same thing.
0: No, we we got water skiing tricks, and that's about it here from the yeah. Rouges. I mean, Scott Hall was playing volleyball. He was talking to ladies on the beach. No, no, that and that's... it was
1: interspersed with him killing dudes. Like that and he's was killing dudes. Yeah, that basically was here's Scott Hall. He's big. He's tough. He can kill people, and he's also yeah. a really cool dude that likes to play on the beach and hang out with a bunch of women. Here with the Rougeos, it's like. They live north of the border. (laughs) There's some water there. They either have a boat or borrowed it, and they can't hear each other talk.
0: Fun, but lame. (laughs) Now, to the ring, we're introduced to the jobber team of Terry Gibbs and his tag team partner, Jack Foley. (laughs) Yes, a very young Jack Foley. That's Cactus Jack,
1: Cactus Jack a Manson. Whatever you want to call him. Mick
0: Foley making another appearance. We have seen young Mick Foley through his career here uh, just randomly show up. He's never advertised. We just see him show up on these shows. And it's super fun when Mick Foley (laughs) just appears on the show.
1: Yeah, never advertised, never a focal point. I guess the closest thing to that would be him on the Smoky Mountain show with uh, Boo Bradley. But we didn't expect him to be on that. He just appeared. He wrestled Bruiser Bedlam, and then you know he was involved in that whole deal. And then he was on that recent Continental show. We did not expect him to see, or <laughs> expect to see him there as a, a member of the Stud Stable with uh, Colonel Robert Parker slash Robert Fuller, as he was known then. Uh, Cactus Jack Manson on that show. And then here, as a jobber, a very young Jack Foley, I like the look with a lambskin vest as his entrance attire as he's waiting in the ring with Terry Gibbs.
0: Now, I always talk about I like my jobbers having ill-fitting gear. And Foley delivered here as he was uh, spending almost the entire match pulling his tights up. They just kept (laughs) falling down, and he kept pulling up his pants the entire match. This was hilarious
1: yes we now understand why he would wear you know the shirt or he would have the uh, the singlet at least something to to keep the tights up their opponents the killer bees b brian blair and jumping jim brunzel i had forgotten just how much they were dressed like they were actual bumblebees like this gimmick was a little too on the nose they have horizontal striped yellow and black uh, wrestling trunks. The best part about this match is, so this is like, this is post mask killer bees, right? And
0: we saw, a graphic, J- we saw a graphic at the top of the show saying the killer bees were going to be here. And I was shown a picture of them in masks. Yes. And then here they are and they're not masked. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I what was hoping,
1: I was hoping we we're going to get that. Then pulling the switcheroo as heels instead, they're baby faces. And while they're about the same size, they do not look alike at all. Uh, B. Brian Blair has, you know, kind of a proto uh, uh, gigolo Jimmy Del Rey look, not Jimmy Backlund, but uh, <laughs> Jimmy Del Rey look. And Jump and Jim Brunzel just, you know, looks like your, you know, your high school quarterback at 35 years old, that sort of thing. So they don't really have the same look, but – Gorilla Monsoon constantly gets these two men confused during this match.
0: Yes, he's uh, channeling his his inner Ron Tron guard and not being <laughs> yes, able to uh, yes. identify the animal one, and the hawk. Which one of these two men are that look completely different is which? <laughs> um,
1: How about Terry Gibbs? He can barely move. He's wearing one knee pad. He looks like a uh, like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of Iron Mike Sharp.
0: Yes. That's a good description as well. Now Foley, uh, so yeah, Gibbs is in, nothing happened. Foley tags in, okay? We get a big double backdrop. We get a standing monkey flip, which you don't see very often. And you certainly saw it executed uh, more expertly here by Jim
1: Brunzel than we saw by Lanny Pafo earlier on the same program.
0: And then a we see an atomic drop on Foley, and it's the first time Foley takes a bump where you go, wow, that looked brutal. And that was a McFoley bump and it was on yes. an atomic drop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The other
1: thing to note about this match is, I guess, to kind of lay the groundwork for this, you know, when you watch a a Rockers match, for example, or a Midnight Express match, or excuse me, a Rock and Roll Express match, and they'll do the spot where... You know, they'll hit a move, tag out right away, hit a move, tag the the partner back in. They'll do this over and over and over. And it's like blindingly quick. We even saw it with, I think, the dynamic dudes against the Midnight Express on that Clash of the Champions show on the Patreon feed. Brunzel and B. Brian Blair, they do this throughout the match, but it somehow is so slow and so boring Like they hit a low impact move, they'll lock on a wrist lock and then they'll let it go and they'll tag the partner back in and then they'll do another lame move and they'll tag the partner back in. It was just so weird to me because I've never seen that done in such boring fashion.
0: No, the killer bees in general are more boring than you remember. Oh, they're the Killer Bees are what you
1: thought the Fantastics were before you went back and watched Fantastics matches as an adult and realized they were a great tag team. They That's were the way so I great.
0: The Killer Bees, not great. No, they were very generic and boring. And... Oh,
1: the worst! And I mean, they threw them in these bumblebee costumes basically, and they still. Did not stand. I, I, I didn't out at even all. see
0: a drop kick by Jim Brunzel in this no, match. No, like literally the only thing that he's good for. Yes, exactly. And and he's he shouldn't he shouldn't be saving it like he's Okada. Get 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 no. out here with your yeah. with your drop kicks, uh, We get a high knee, and Foley j- continues to take a beating, which is always encouraged here on the show. Power slam, but Gibbs makes the save. The finish comes when Blair jumps off the back of a kneeling Jim Brunzel and he hits Foley with a flying ass attack. And landing land. at, he so he hits Foley with with his ass in the air. As Foley's falling down onto his back, Blair is falling down <laughs> with him, and he Fo- lands ass first on Foley's face. Ouch. Full
1: force. And I'm watching this and thinking, why is this their finisher? A, this is dumb. B, fully just got annihilated. And (laughs) then then we see the replay. And as we see this in slow motion, and it's just more devastating, Gorilla Monsoon says the name of this move is the B, Sting. He and
0: stinging him, not a flying is, ass attack. Oh that is why God. they
1: gave them this move as their finisher, because it was like a bee stinging you. This
0: The dumbest thing ridiculous, I've ever seen. Horrible. He sits on Foley's chest, got the pin. Obviously, the killer bees are your winners. What? Yeah, what a lame finishing move. Well, how about the finishing move was lame. Their big jumping
1: white guy high five after they (laughs) won was the lamest thing you've ever seen. This was just, I would say that of all the like fiery baby face tag teams that we've seen on any episode of this podcast, the killer bees have to be the lamest. Like I was dying for the dynamic dudes after this.
0: Yeah. Killer bees. They're way more lame than you think. There's some <laughs> yeah. people listening to this podcast going, "Dude, the killer bees not that bad." I I, rem- I have good memories. No, you don't. They're terrible. Uh, don't go <laughs> yeah, back I- and watch because it'll ruin all your memories of the killer bees. They're not good.
1: Yeah, I remember thinking like, "Oh yeah, those guys were a solid mid card team." Again, thinking you know they were like Fantastics level, and no, absolutely no. not.
0: We get a promo from Bobby Heenan. See, Hulk Hogan is over with. He's ripped his T-shirts. He's talked to the kiddies. He's patted them on the head. He's signed the autographs. That is over. There is only one thing that exists today in wrestling, and that is this gentleman here. Your next next world's heavyweight champion. You people out here might as well get used to the fact that I'm going to be the next heavyweight champion of the world. I've tried to tell you people all along that Hulk Hogan does nothing else but uses people. He's talking about Orndorff. Uh, we then get Orndorff in there, basically cutting a very similar promo to what we just heard on the snake pit. He cut the exact
1: same promo, <laughs> maybe with like one additional sentence flourish describing their encounter in the gym, but it is the exact, it's same the same thing. promo. <laughs> He's talking about going to the gym and the bench press and seeing him want to be the man that he is. Uh, it's just so ridiculous to see that here twice on this hour television program in two different settings, him basically saying the exact same thing. He then goes on to say that the real American song was written for him, the tearing the shirts, the cupping the ear, Hogan stole it all from me. Orndorff is not a good promo, and Bobby Heenan recognizes this. This was maybe my favorite thing on the show, top three for sure, as Orndorff is just going on and on. Bobby has had enough, and he basically completely cuts Orndorff off by just starting to yell, "Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful!" Mm-hmm. over and over again until Orndorff stops talking.
0: Now, these promos were all happening not in front of the people, but like backstage. Yes, and so like this backstage promo is just the end of the show. They just start well, the previewing part, next week.
1: Yeah, we we get uh, a preview of next week, which will have. Coco Beware in action, King Harley Race. It, it just—I had forgotten that he was already there in 1986. The Honky Tonk Man Making will make his, his
0: debut. Wrest- yes,
1: his wrestling challenge debut, and then the feature match, a non-title affair. It is the British Bulldogs, Dynamite Kid, and Davy Boy Smith taking on the team of Nikolai Volkoff and Iron Sheik.
0: Then we get highlights from the show we just watched with some (laughs) funky music as the credits roll.
1: Yes. Gorilla Monsoon says, and I quote, stay with us, fans, for a special musical review of this week's highlights. And if you've listened to this podcast, which obviously you have because you're hearing me say this right now, you know that this show did not have many in-ring highlights.
0: No. Why? Why did I need all of that when I could have had could you could have given me two more minutes of the Macho Man? And, you could have
1: given me Paul Orndorff cutting the same promo for the third time.
0: <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. The, yeah, this this show is who they tried to fit a ton of little things onto the show. Yeah. And and nothing was was that great. So I'm going to ask the tough question. <laughs> Favorite thing on this show for you.
1: I mean, there are some good things to make fun of, which I've mentioned already. And there are things that I could say, oh, this was fun. That was fun. But by far the best thing on this show was Randy Savage being Randy Savage. It was oh altogether god. too short, but he came across like a god among men's hearing Technicolor on this show. Just tremendous. I will give a honorable mention to a couple things. Dick Slater rising above yes. uh, what he was given here and just still coming across like a star against all odds and Ernie Ladd saying the case is closed every time a match ended. I love that.
0: I, yes, I had Ernie Ladd as one of my favorite things on this show. Uh, worst thing on this show, I think, I think you know, my my best things are all right in line with yours. I don't think you missed anything. Uh, Bobby Heenan on his promo is also a honorable mention as well. And that guy dancing with Coco Beware. Another, yes, that was uh, honorable fantastic. mention. Uh, I'm
1: going to say worst thing on this show. And I don't know, maybe you'll convince me there's something else. But I think that Billy Graham inset promo. I oh, just thought that was, was terrible. It, was, it bad. was bad. And it when I watched it, I was like, yeah, this is a guy that's past his prime and does not belong on this show.
0: I was going to say wrestlers rebuttal until Piper just walks off the set with (laughs) Piper pulling the
1: chair out schoolyard style and then walking off the set that uh, Uh, that
0: saved it somewhat. So that saved it somewhat. Sika is horrible. That match was terrible.
1: okay yeah, no, that's I'm with you 100 percent. That match was horrible it not only took me back to the 82 MSG TV or the 82 All-Star wrestling TV show. It took me back to that MSG show that broke me from 1973. It was again, it was 30 seconds of kicking and punching and stopping stretched out over six minutes or however long it was just truly uninspired
0: dreck. Yes. So that those were some of the worst things. And of course, honorable mention, for the worst things always goes to Greg the hammer Valentine and his manager, luscious Johnny V. just when you thought you couldn't make the hammer more unwatchable, (laughs) put him with luscious (laughs) Johnny V. And that's enough for me. You know what I think just as as I'm, as we're closing this out, what I want more than anything, I don't know if it
1: happened during this time period. Think how great it would have been. If we would have
0: had a Randy Savage squash match against a young Jack Foley. Oh, my God. Yeah, that uh, if that existed, uh, it would be one of my favorite squash matches of all time, I think. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. I do want to remind everyone we mentioned the Patreon a few times during this show. That's because there's hours of content over on the Patreon waiting for you right now. A Um, full road trip's worth uh, to and from a
1: round trip road trip (laughs) worth of additional bonus audio content. Full-length podcast that if you are not a subscriber, uh, a supporter at the
0: Patreon, you have not heard any of that yet. It's just waiting there for you. That's right. If you want to see what we, what we reviewed on that Patreon, in addition to the mentions that we had earlier, go to patreon.com slash wrestling at random. There you'll see all of the posts that are available to you. Uh, you you subscribe Just like you would uh, uh, any other podcast, it shows up as an extra bonus feed for you on Thursdays. We publish to that one. So every single week you get content there if you're a Patreon supporter. And if you want to, you can bump up a tier uh, not only do you get bonus content, but you can also be the randomizer for a month and you can choose which show we watch as part of the podcast.
1: Yes, and that has happened several times. Uh, we've had some very good stuff that we've reviewed. There's some rough stuff that's been <laughs> thrown into the queue. I'll say uh, from our, uh, our be the randomizer tier supporters, we welcome it all. Uh, we appreciate uh, the support of those that uh, do contribute via the Patreon. And if you're willing to go to that, that uh, that be the randomizer tier, we'll watch just about anything that you'll uh, you'll give us as long as it's from 2010 or earlier.
0: Yeah, so and you can always request something, then bump back down to the uh, to the to the bonus content tier and continue to get your extra weekly audio. And there's also a tier where you can get a T-shirt. I mailed out a couple T-shirts last week, so make sure that uh, if you want a T-shirt, you can support the show that way. We promise they're tasteful. It's the uh, it's the logo you see everywhere around here. Uh, it's a wrestling shirt you can wear to places that aren't necessarily a wrestling event and not be embarrassed about it.
1: Yes. As I always say, I'm a person who uh, uh, when conditions warrant, I go to many, many concerts and I would not be and am not embarrassed to wear this wrestling at random logo T-shirt to concerts, uh, you know, at small dive bars, indie venues across the country you'll feel totally comfortable wearing it. It is a wrestling shirt that does not look like a wrestling shirt.
0: I wear it on my work zoom calls and nobody, nobody notices. Uh, It's totally fine. So yeah, go uh, get yourself a t-shirt, bump back down to the bonus content here. Now, if you cannot support the show financially in these times, we totally understand that as well. We, we ask you to uh, interact with the show uh, via social media at wrestle at random on Twitter, the same for Instagram, Facebook.com slash Wrestling at Random. Uh, interact with the show. Uh, that's the best way to do it. If, you, if you're not on social media, you can also send us an email, wrestlingatrandom@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And you support the show by interacting with us and telling your wrestling fan friends about us. Tell your friends that used to be wrestling fans about the show as well. They might want to take a trip down memory lane and revisit some of these shows
1: yes and make sure to tell your former friends who uh, you know are or used to be wrestling fans about the podcast as well maybe you guys used to be a greg the hammer valentine and brutus beefcake level dream team and you know it just (laughs) just didn't work out you've had a falling out uh you know maybe you can bring the dream team back together by telling them about this podcast probably not but it's worth a shot
0: If you're listening to this podcast, you're the beefcake in that relationship. (laughs) You're not the hammer. Don't you worry about that. And all of the links I mentioned, along with the entire back catalog of this podcast, is available at WrestlingAtRandom.com. Go back and listen to season one if you haven't heard it if you just joined in late to this show and there's, you see all the stuff in the back catalog, you're like, boy, I wish I had jumped on this earlier. I missed out on a bunch of stuff. No, you didn't. It's evergreen content. It is waiting there for you. Like the first day it was released. So go back, treat yourself, enjoy anything that you haven't listened to yet on the back catalog. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Adam, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. This was a fun one. Uh, I, I anxiously await what the next
1: show is that Cactus Jack will make a surprise <laughs> appearance on. You know it's coming.
0: Oh, oh, I do. And uh, it, as, as much as I know, Greg the Hammer Valentine will show up on a <laughs> yeah. show again as well.
1: That is uh, the epitome of what we always say. The randomizer giveth and the randomizer taketh away.
0: And I want to thank everyone for listening. And we'll talk to you again next time.